Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. It is Tuesday, December 6, 2022. And if we sound a little bit different, it's because for the first time in an age, we are recording from our individual homes instead of at the Mayfair Theater. But not because of COVID or anything. No, we're no. all good. <laughs> Just because Eric's a grown up and had to do chores or obligations at home today. Yeah, it was awful. They were trying to cut out. Well, not try. I mean, they succeeded. They were cutting out pieces of our wall so that they could have windows in there. And by they, I mean we, I guess. And so we've had the windows for months now, actually, I guess. It was just like a whole back and forth with the thing where they're like, oh, well, you thought someone else was doing the cutting. Well, I thought you were doing the cutting. And so it, eventually, like, the people who were going to do the cutting did come and they did the cutting. But then it's just like, you think it's fun at first because you're like, oh, I'm, I'm at home. I'm working at home. But then you're like, this isn't fun. Like, I'm just huh. on edge all day and it's loud. And, and they were both French, which is not a problem, but just like... They were like fast French, you know, so like I speak French, but I'm like, oh, I can't interact with them. Like, I can't I can't be at your speed. And you sent me a little video of the sound of the earthquaking window making device happening in your house. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine for a podcast. Let's go ahead and record now. Yeah, it was impressive looking like it was kind of like a Mjolnir, but, you know, for window cutting, I guess. So there's like sparks and excitement, well, low level excitement, but still. But it's one of those things where like. My instinct is to be like, hey, you, you guys need a hand? Or like, hey, you want water or biscuits or something? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I got no biscuits. But anyway, and so, but they're just like, I don't know, we're fine. We're fine. And, and it took them six hours, which is, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's so surreal. Like, it's it's one of those things that has to get done. And then the windows are getting in tomorrow. So today just felt like a crappy preview, you know, where you're just like, oh, thank God we sat through all that. It's all over till tomorrow morning when the same thing happens again. Is it? a different team tomorrow or the same group i think it's a different team but i'm guessing kind of know each other because they left all their crap pretty much just well ours i guess because it was like stuff from our house and uh, you know insulation and all that stuff and they just left and they were like oh yeah you know those guys tomorrow will be doing that you know they'll pick it up and i was like all right i guess you guys know them better than i do so like i'm sure this is fine so i did not tell you this story yet whenever People are on a podcast together. Sometimes you hold back on stories so they can be fresh. I wanted to wait to tell you this on air so you could be furious upon oh, no. getting this news. So we were vandalized again a couple oh, days ago. What the hell? And it's just, I mean, it's not funny, haha, but it's hilarious because <laughs> it's not somebody looking as they walk by and going, oh my God, it's an Empire Strikes Back poster. or Oh my God, it's a Lawrence of Arabia poster. It's just pure random dumb crime <laughs> because so if you're facing the cinema we have six poster boxes so the first one the one on the farthest left closest to shoppers drug mart that one just got torn open and then the fourth one they tried to get into and the sixth one they tried to get into but gave up but oh. the sixth one was already broken. Now it's super broken. Lee was joking that we're looking more and more like a 1973 New York City <laughs> cinema outside. We've got a lead to get either these boxes tidied up or just completely replaced at this point. They crumpled up and destroyed trying to steal a Call Jane poster. What? Which is funny because I don't assume it's somebody who's a giant... Elizabeth Banks or Sigourney Weaver fan who wants that on their wall. It's purely somebody stealing just because. <laughs> the one box that they tore open, and it's not an easy task 
and I don't assume they had tools. I'm thinking not to profile sports fans, but it happened after a sporting event nearby. So I'm guessing it was drunken sports fans who noticed that they thought they could probably do this and got into one of the poster boxes. So the sad thing is they stole our Deadly Games dial code Santa Claus poster. No, that's a hard one to get. Yeah, which actually is like a super duper rare poster and a movie that we have this week. That's why it was on display. So I managed to put the latches back into place, which wasn't easy. Like I basically like used a tool to kind of wrench it back into place. So they're usable for the time being. They look a bit worse for wear, but it's just, you know, we don't have to tell anybody. Anybody listening to this, I don't think is on the side of the guys who are stealing <laughs> posters from us. But it's just so frustrating because it's not that old. Well, it's someone who stole a loaf of bread to feed their family. It's purely just jerks causing trouble. And I wouldn't be surprised if you went up and down the block last night. I just thought of this right now. Mm -hmm. There was probably some newspaper boxes overturned or just random dumb stuff like that. Because this happened a while back when this happened last time to us and our neighbors at Quinn's had their windows smashed and no kidding, walking from our place down the neighborhood into the Glebe, you could genuinely see the path of chaos. It was just somebody had a bad night and caused trouble. It's like a low-level Godzilla streak going up yeah. <laughs> after one of those movies. You're like, oh, it's uh, not that great. And also like, call Jane? Yeah. No offense to that movie, but we would have given you that poster. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, we have six of them. And <laughs> if a Call Jane fan left the movie one night and was like, oh, do you have one of those? I'd love to have a copy of one of those posters. The usual response is either, oh, sorry, we can't. We only got one. We have to hang on to it just in case we play it again. Or, yeah, we have six. We'll totally sell you one for a couple bucks. No problem. But this is all the person doing this, yeah, was not, oh, no, I'm so sad I couldn't get that Call Jane poster to <laughs> put up in the living room for the guys to see. Oh my god, that's just like, uh, it's so, it's it's senseless and depressing. You just can't, I, I don't know, I'm, try, I'm like trying to give you a pep talk here, like I yeah. feel like, you know, <laughs> listen, you know, uh, there's good people out there, and uh, you know, we got plenty of other Call Jane posters, but no other Deadly Games posters, so really, I can't be the silver lining here for you. If you see anybody with a Deadly Games poster, yeah. it's ours. Nobody no has that, one. like, like yeah. that's the thing, literally... Nobody will have that. Because we got one copy of those when we first screened it a little while ago, five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. So nobody else has that poster. You know, again, it's not funny, haha, but it's just, it's humorous in that I'm guessing it was someone who was really drunk or I don't know. You say that as someone who doesn't drink, though. Yeah. That's very hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> if you would sit down with them one on one and be like, okay, do you feel bad about what you did? And just say, like, you know, you didn't just vandalize Walmart. You vandalized a <laughs> tiny independent cinema that's always just scrapping to get by and now has to pay to get that repaired. Yeah, they're not vandalizing. I mean, as far as we know, they're not vandalizing Cineplex, possibly yeah. because there's cameras everywhere and whatever. <laughs> right. Even still, you're just like, that's so many in succession now that have just been vandalizing this thing. And like the first time, that sucks, but you know, one off thing. But now you're just like, really? What? Yeah. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, I haven't heard any other stories, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's other businesses up and down Bank Street in the neighborhood who may have had something done like that, you know, a mm. smashed light or something like that. But that happened. In happier news, it happened right around our 90th anniversary, which was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I was going to say, literally, that was last night, and I, I made sure to make a Facebook post about it because I knew I'd kick myself if I didn't. Then I'm, you think about it too much. I mean, for you, I, I don't even know if you made a post, but, you know, there must have been some pressure internally to be like, oh, geez, I guess I got to say a thing about this. Yeah, I posted a picture, kind of a crossover promotion, because for our 90th anniversary, we screened the 90th anniversary of the 1932 Oscar winner Grand Hotel. So I found an old picture that's just this giant marquee in a giant crowd at some <laughs> Manhattan palace of a cinema. And I was like, I'm sure the exact same crowd, horses and all, will show up. And so that got a lot of love and got a lot of nice response. And again, it's social media as a form of good. A lot of people saying nice things about us and retweeting and mm-hmm. saying how much they love the Mayfair. And a movie like this not to sound backhanded, we knew a movie like this was not going to get 300 people, but we got a very nice crowd and people who really appreciated seeing something like that leaded a little introduction talking about how it just looks beautiful, this digital restoration of it. And it really did. It's this 1932 black and white kind of a drama with comedy in it about a hotel. It's akin to Grand Budapest Hotel, just that one is 150% more Wes Anderson-y. Yeah, it's it was a really cool movie to see. And it for its time did have a lot of neat innovation and camera work because you got to think nobody knew what was going on. They barely (laughs) knew how to turn on the camera back then. Yeah, and they weren't just zooming in and out, moving the camera (laughs) forward and back. It was like actual good stuff. Anything to bring a focus on us and people to go, oh, yeah, your 90th birthday. That's cool that you did that. And then they'll come back and see something else in the near future. But now it's funny because now I'm already thinking of, oh, should we do our 91st anniversary? Maybe (laughs) do another 1932 movie or this time we did on the two. So we did the best picture of 1972, 62, etc. So maybe next year might be fun to do the best picture of 1933, 43, 53, etc. That might be kind of a cool thing to do. And now more and more, these old movies that just like, say if we had wanted to do this for the Mayfair's 70th anniversary, I think it would be pretty impossible to find a film print of Grand Hotel. So it's much easier nowadays to find that digital restorations versus a film restoration. You should do next year. You should do the worst movies of each year. You should do like the worst movie of 1932. God, there must be like a hundred examples. There's no consensus most of the time. And also, I know nobody would actually come to that, but it's still a funny idea. I thought it would be fun. And Lee and I were kind of batting the idea around of doing a little mini film fest of four movies in March or whenever the Oscars are, I forget, Mm -hmm. of four movies that were hugely acclaimed but got zero Oscar nominations. I think that'd be a fun little thing to put together. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot of those out there. But yeah, we'll see, because that's quickly approaching Oscar season. We're kind of, December is the time when distributors have realized over the years that we'll put all of our big Oscar bait movies out in December. It'll be fresh in people's minds, and that helps better with voting processes. Mm-hmm. No, that's fun. Like, it, it was a really cool idea. That, I mean, even if not everything was packed, that was a really fun way to celebrate the 90th. Yeah. So I think just because I have a lot of side stories with a few of these films, I think we might jump right into chatting about what we have for the week of Friday, December 9th, because we have a rather packed week besides for stuff we're going to talk about. It's a bonkers week because we also have, I think, eight private rentals. Oh, my God. 
it's so complicated on Lee's side of things of trying to program around rentals, which are very cost effective for us, whether they be at this time of year, I think holiday parties, there is a private screening for a local film. We have our church in Sunday morning, which we have had in for over a year now. So it's a busy week. So on my side of things, it's chaos just trying to do the staff schedule. And then mm -hmm. on Lee's side of things, you have to program the movies puzzle pieced in with the rental stuff, which it's this tough balance of wanting to play favorites with the movies because we're a cinema, but then the private rentals often save the day because sometimes we'll have a couple rentals in the AM or matinee time slot. And so before we even screen our four o'clock, six thirty, nine fifteen shows, we're ahead of the game. We've already had yeah. a profitable day. So if those three movies don't do well, we're kind of like, well, glass half full, we're still okay today. Yeah, and that gets us to pay for the horror movies that I insist we play that maybe don't always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I assume those are the ones that always do well. It's the other stuff you're talking about that nobody comes to. Yeah. So the week of December 9th, we have a new Canadian film called Stay the Night, which mm. is a dramatic comedy romance set in Toronto. Okay. This movie, one thing that I have a side story for, is we got a... Not angry email, but just <laughs> oh, God. somebody wishing that we had this booked for more days because the two days we had it booked for, they can't make it. And then Lee sent back a nice email just saying, well, you should really be mad at the multiplexes because they have 15 screens to play with and could afford to have a Canadian film on one of them for a few times a day. But yeah. they do not. We would be more logical to favor those two time slots to one of the bigger films we have this week to give it a couple of more time slots. But mm -hmm. we like supporting Canadian films and it's not the greatest case scenario, but this film became available to us on a week where we have eight rentals and a bunch of other movies. So we got it on for two days. Hopefully people can come see it who want to see it. We have a movie screening right now called Rosie that just as fate would have it, we mostly could only screen at matinee time slots and it's been doing very well. So I think sometimes people go that extra mile and are maybe understanding of, yeah, this is a little indie movie. So if we want to see it, we have to make the effort to go see it. And same goes for the cult nerd movies where we can only screen those at 9 or 9.30 at night. Yeah. We can't give those kind of movies the big 6.30 time slot. I think people understand, but we sent them back a nice email saying, I get you. I mean, I really do understand. I miss movies at the Mayfair sometimes, and I'm one of the owners. But yeah. sometimes we can only fit a movie in for two days, not saying that it won't ever come back. I'm sure that the filmmakers appreciate at least us getting it on there for two days versus zero days. Yeah, and I hope Lee actually personally called that person to be like, hey, you, you ought to be mad at Cineplex. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> yeah. He's the hero in this situation. Yeah, go bother Cineplex and say, why didn't you play Stay the Night at all? And what's funny is I, I've seen the poster a couple times now, like when I'm scrolling through the feed, and every time I'm like, okay, I know this probably is lighter fare, but the first thing that I think of is a horror movie where it's like, stay the night, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah. like a purge type scenario. And okay, it's probably not that, although even the poster is, you don't fully know. You're like, okay, maybe it's a couple and they're having fun. I don't know. But maybe he's like, yeah, you're not leaving. No, it's not like that. Anyway, come see this movie. You think that about every movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hopefully the filmmakers aren't listening like, hey, he's torpedoing our movie we barely got to play. <laughs> <laughs> so then the bigger movie that 
meant we don't have a lot of time slots is The Banshees of Inisherin. Okay. Which is the new film with Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell mm. from acclaimed filmmaker Martin McDonough. Three billboards. Yeah. Oh my God. He's such, a lot of his stuff isn't the lightest affair, <laughs> but he's good at telling these kind of stories. Yeah. He did in Bruges, right? That's correct. Yeah. So this is the reunion for. This is the reunion for Farrell and Gleason. It's been a while, 15 years yeah. since that movie or so. Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, But basically every movie that he puts out, the filmmaker puts out, is acclaimed Oscar. Well, I don't want to say Oscar bait, but Oscar buzz. You know, yeah. just he doesn't really put out something where people are sort of like, eh. And this is the kind of movie that when we get it from a slightly more mainstream distributor, we have to play it for six or seven nights in mm -hmm. order to get it. It's logical because it will do well and we have to put it in the prime time time slot. And this is the kind of movie that don't want to jinx it, but we might screen it for a couple of weeks. This is kind of a prime Mayfair kind of movie. So it's interesting that it's coming out in the holiday season. But again, I think it's because of that, because it really does have some awards buzz. There's been a lot of talk about it being up for Best Picture, at least, let alone for the acting. And I don't know if that's just hyperbole based on the writer-director, but I've been hearing rave reviews. And the story is two best friends, and then for seemingly no reason, one of them breaks up with the other. And so it has, even the trailer has these kind of dark comedic moments in it, but it's basically Colin Farrell stumbling, trying to figure out why Brendan Gleeson doesn't like him anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of the mystery thread revealed through the movie, I believe. Weird. That's not at all what I expected, I guess. Yeah. And it looks very Irish and beautiful, dreary cinematography. Yeah, some harsh billboards at some point, possibly. We're not clear on that. Maybe there's a file and what guy, there's a yeah. fire where the guy saves a file. I don't know. I assume he does that in every movie. So then next up, we have Deadly Games Dial Code Santa Claus, which oh, we God, don't no. have a poster for no. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tragic story. So we screened this movie, I forget when, but a few years back, and I saw it. It's really good movie. It's got a lot of story behind it because... Whether there's any fact to this, there's a lot of movies that are similar. But there was a lot of people thinking that Home Alone was ripped off from this movie. Mm -hmm. And there was even, I believe, some legality to it. I don't know how far a court case or lawsuit went. I don't know if the Deadly Games people got any money from the Home Alone people. I don't know if it's coincidental because this is the story of a kid home alone who <laughs> quote unquote quote unquote who defends his house against a evil Santa Claus, somebody who's dressed as Santa and thieving the neighborhood. I think that's what it is. I haven't seen it in Basically. a while. Yeah. Well, and he's kind of a sympathetic character to a degree. I can't remember. I mean, he's he's a creep, obviously, but like, I think he loses job or whatever. And like, there's some, there's like a little more to it. Like, he's not just sort of a cartoonish, like, you don't, not to say he's like a protagonist or anything like that, but, but yeah, no, they, like it's, I found it kind of like Home Alone with an edge almost. It's not super violent or gory or anything like that, but it's definitely like, it's serious, you know? Like, I mean, they're not just clowning around in it you know it's actually you kind of worry for the kid's safety at times yeah and it came out a year before home alone i think so that's where a lot of comparison came from just in that yeah it is a kid home alone in danger just home alone is this bonkers looney tune style violence where yeah i just watched it a little while ago a couple years ago at christmas time for the first time in a long time and home alone is brutal and it's so weird because there's scenes that you're like yeah that would have killed him where 
they like swing down a can of full paint and it hits yeah. Daniel Stern right in the head and he falls <laughs> down a flight of stairs. In a different movie, you'd be like, yep, I killed him. He's dead. <laughs> oh, my God. And it would have been fine because they broke in. So technically, that's self-defense. Yeah, especially in the States. And he's a minor as well. I mean, but that's not the point. And then I just learned one of my favorite podcasts, The Retroist, did a Home Alone 2 episode and pointed out that there is a Home Alone 2 audiobook read by Tim Curry. Oh, what? Yeah. And I pointed this out to our friend Sam, who is a giant Tim Curry fan, our Shadowcast leader for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I was so happy because he said that it's so few and far in between for him nowadays to find a new bit of Tim Curry anything because he's seen all the movies and mm -hmm. all the cast recordings and all the TV shows. So I got to actually hit him with something that he had never heard of before, that Tim Curry read the audiobook <laughs> for Home Alone 2. That's bizarre. I'm trying to picture that. And also, like, he could have done it in, like, 15 different voices. He's got so many cool voices that he does. I'm, like, reeling trying to picture that scenario. <laughs> and I don't like stealing things online, but I think this is safe to share that it is just on YouTube. Okay. You can listen to the recorded, I believe, off of an audio cassette Home Alone 2 audiobook. And I didn't listen to it, but just the fact that it's out there brings me joy that it's such a bizarre crossover of Rocky Horror fans because Tim Curry has a role in Home Alone 2. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, I thought that I maybe imagined that, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure. I, I'll say it's been some time since I've seen Home Alone 2, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's insane. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Yeah, because he plays, not, not to talk more about Home Alone 2 than <laughs> Deadly Games. Yeah, well, you know. But he plays the, I don't know, evil hotel owner. Okay. But then compared to Macaulay Culkin's character, who's really evil? Donald Trump's in the movie, so yeah, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess he's concierge at yeah. the Trump Hotel, I guess. Yeah. Man, oh God. So there's that. All along, we didn't know who the real villain was. <laughs> what do you know? It was a Kaiser Soze scenario. So next up, we have our holiday season screening edition of The Room, back for its 131st time on our screen. Oh, good Lord. And I got to... I think I'm going to retcon this. I'm going to ask Lee. I'm going to do a bit of math because I think it'd be more fun now since the streak has been broken. I think it's fair for us to like a comic book where you have 200 issues of Spider-Man and then it becomes number one again and then 200 issues and then it becomes number one again. Often they'll retcon it and go, this is issue 401 now. And it's really confusing, but I think we can do that and just be like, instead of 131, we might be say... 140 something because there's a few times where greg or tommy were here that we screened it four or five times in a week mm -hmm. so yeah i keep meaning to do that of asking lee what the actual screening number is and just hop ahead to that yeah because it could be 150 and you don't even know we might be getting up there we might be getting close to that because during disaster artist time and during a couple times where tommy came we played it a few times a week so yeah we might be getting close and that'd be more fun to celebrate the 150th screening versus the 150th month yeah we can get to it a bit sooner 
uh, it's uh, impressive either way, obviously. But yeah, I remember those nights of, oh God, we played the Disaster Artist a lot in that, you know, week or two week period, whatever it was, in the room a lot. So it's just like these movies that I've heard so many times, but only seen once. It's like some of the lines live rent free in my head. And I'm just like, I don't, why do I think of these lines from the Disaster Artist? I'm just like, oh yeah, I was scrubbing the popcorn machine at 1130 at night or whatever it was. It's so hilarious. We were recording on Zoom and in the past on Zoom, somehow we were able to ramble on for like 45 minutes, but we just got our 10 minute countdown clock. Ooh. So we still got 10 minutes, but I feel more like in a movie now. Like, oh my God, we've only got nine minutes to talk, which is plenty of time in the grand scheme of things, but nine minute countdown. That's good though. That's fine. Can yeah. be like kind of uh, outrageous. I was keeping a counter going just in case, but it makes no sense because we stopped getting that counter and now it's back. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know, but it's good. Everything's thrown off. It's a weird day. So then next up, another reason why it's a weird week is that we have a Friday midnight show with The Room, and then we have a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for the 25th Saturday morning all-you-can-eat cereal cartoon party. Oh my god, it's the 25th anniversary? I didn't know that. Yeah, and not only that, it's all holiday season specials, so that's cool that it landed on the 25. People like numbers that end in zeros and fives, so our 25th anniversary with Saturday morning cartoons is going to be a holiday season spectacular. Three hours of holiday themed cartoons and commercials. I think they've done this once before for us and it's super fun. And mm -hmm. there's really some rarities in there. Yeah, that will very likely be sold out. The last time we did it was our first one on the heels of COVID. And we actually sold 350 seats for our 325 capacity because a couple of families of five would leave and then we'd let more people in. So it'll probably be that busy again, even though sometimes holiday season is a bit of a slower time of year for us just because people are busy doing stuff. But mm -hmm. always glad to get cartoons back on screen, even though it's chaos to do staff scheduling for a midnight show followed by a morning show. But we did it. No, it's and it's always like, yeah, it's packed. And the nice kind of thing is, yeah, it's it kind of in waves, you know, like it's not all at once and like not every I mean, a lot of people do come right at 10 a.m. But, you know, there is like always a lineup and people are like fairly, you know, there's never any fights or anything. Like yeah. It's always a good vibe, you know, but it's still it definitely gets a little like I remember the last time we did it, I was like nervous because it's like five to ten and i was like it's not full in here yet yeah. like i was like oh you know maybe it was like kind of an off month or something and then no there was just stream after stream of people and we have to start right at 10 because we have rentals right after it so just take heed on that i appreciate some people are used to the multiplex where they show up at 10 and their movie starts half an hour later but we're starting at 10 so show up on time show up a little bit early get in get settled get your cereal yeah, I usually just skip the cereal for the first 30, 40 minutes because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to battle through a stream of kids, you know, it's yeah. too, too much. And we're going tomorrow to pick up the 90 boxes of cereal. That's how many we got last time and it served us well. Oh, man. There was some thought because Gwen and a friend of ours did a little road trip down to the States to do some shopping, but I think it's just expensive. A box of cereal at Walmart in the States is $5, which is like, I don't know, what, $7 Canadian? It's like 17 now, I think. Oh, it's horrible. So, <laughs> but we'll go and get 90 boxes of delicious sugary cereal and people will have a nice festive morning for the holiday season. 
Yeah, it's going to be good. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be at least one Christmas-themed cereal, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, are there, like, Santa O's? Did anyone do that? There's, like, I know they have, like, holiday ones. Like, it'll be like, oh, Rice Krispies are red and white now. Or, oh. or it's just or just the box is like, oh, we're wearing Santa hats. And then you open it, and you're like, it's the same old Rice Krispies, not even with a toy in it. Like, come on. Chex did, like, a chocolate snowflake something something that was really good i like that a lot and it was limited edition only for the holiday season well i mean it's oh god i can imagine like by the end of that box you're probably like okay i get it like (laughs) i don't think i need that again so then we have the ottawa premiere of the beyond the composer's cut all right which is a 4k restoration we slap ottawa premiere on that because yeah we've screened the beyond before but this is a brand new edition The Composer's Cut, which is an interesting twist in that the composer went back and provided an all-new score. And supposedly it looks better than it has ever. We would say that, though. Yeah. (laughs) like It's just like Malibu Stacy. It's like, it's just the same Beyond we played before, but it's got a new hat. (laughs) Yeah, come see it again. Yeah, you haven't seen this particular music, you know, like, so, I mean, even if the music's, it it won't be bad, obviously, but somehow if it was a train wreck of a score, that's still a classic movie, you know, so I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's definitely been years since we've shown it. Well, the last time a composer did this, I remember, was Joe DeLusa for Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really good. And so he got to go back and kind of special edition himself on that. So this should be good. It's the same composer. Just basically, I have a feeling with a bit more time and money and years of experience to kind of put his stamp on it in a slightly different way. Well, and the technology, too, has just advanced so much that God knows what he could even do compared to back then. Yeah. Uh, And then finally this week, we have a non-murderous Christmas movie. No, we don't want those. (laughs) Yeah. No, this kicks off four classic family-type holiday films with We're No Angels, which is exciting for a few reasons. I have a feeling this movie might not have been on screen since when it first came out because it's a digital restoration, and it's a slightly more obscure film from the 1950s. It is from the director of Casablanca and has Humphrey Bogart in it, but it's not one that I've ever seen before. And I think except for some real hardcore cinema purist, it's something that they might be getting to see for the first time. And it takes place around Christmas Eve and it's three charming thieves who are on the run and hiding in a French colonial town. So it's one of those movies that I think it's funny, like a lot of Christmas movies, where I always think it's so funny when people argue that Die Hard or Gremlins is not Christmassy enough, because most Christmas movies are not full on Christmas for 90 minutes or two hours. No. There's a little bit of Christmas in there. And this one sounds like Trapped in Paradise was a remake of this. That was three charming thieves who robbed something and then got stuck in a small town on Christmas. God, maybe it was. Yeah, and Cage is in it, obviously, so that one's more important. But, you know, the Humphrey Bogart of his time, you know, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, as you described that, I was like, that's almost the same plot. (laughs) Yeah, I never even thought about that, but either it was a remake or just inspired by... Those lazy screenwriters, you know. Find an old movie that everyone's forgotten about and be like, hey, we can just take this story, no one will know. Just add Cage and Dana Carvey doing a silly Italian accent. (laughs) And then the other classic films we have coming up are... Talk about a rarity. The Bob Hope movie, The Lemon Drop Kid, and more mainstream, It's a Wonderful Life. Amazing. And then a Western called Three Godfathers, which I think plays off the 
three wise men kind of thing, but more Western style. So those are coming up in the next few weeks. So we have lots of both horror movie offerings for fans and nice family favorites for fans looking for something to watch over Christmas time. Yeah, something for everybody. So we just got the one minute warning mm. that makes alarms go off in my head because I do not want to be cut off before we end so i will say thanks for listening everybody you can find more information at mayfairtheater.ca and we'll see you back next week with eric and i in person so we can watch a movie and eat pizza after doing a podcast hooray thanks everybody bye bye oh my christmas movie plays tomorrow can't wait oh we don't have any time to talk about it i love it oh wait what's it called i uh, all i didn't want for christmas why would you do that to me oh god I can't wait to watch you dance in this weird Hallmark TV movie. Oh, God. I, it's the only one that has me in it, so you know it's good. There you go. That's a good end point. We Oof, did it. That was, that was close. I, was, I stopped paying attention to the time, and then I was like, oh, my God, a minute and a half. And We're No Angels is the international comedy hit that's going to have you laughing like the devil with Humphrey Bogart and his buddies as three wonderful and wacky fugitive convicts trying to break out of Devil's Island. They even have the bloodhounds confused because these three happy outlaws have talent. For instance, Bogart's a genius. He can sell anybody anything. Yes, that's better. No stomach at all. Stop breathing. Peter Ustinov is an artist. He can open anything. That's how he got to Devil's Island in the first place. Aldo Ray is the lover. He can, well, maybe we'd better not go into that. You find me? That is, do I seem to you? Well, do I? I could go to jail for the way I feel. I wasn't there already. Beautiful Joan Bennett and Leo G. Carroll, the delightfully dim-witted topper of TV fame, just don't know what to make of their uninvited guests. If only they didn't trust us. Which isn't fair. Here we are, three desperate criminals who will stop at nothing to escape from Devil's Island, and we have to fall in with nice people. But not everybody's so nice. There's that bad man, Basil Rathbone, to complicate everything. Convicts, what are you doing here on Christmas Eve? We're the three wise men. And they really are the three wise guys who have the solution to everybody's problem right in that little box.